Baseball is back. That's right, folks. And here we are coming out to the 4th of July. We need Don Henley singing some boys this summer because that's who's back. That's right. Baseball is on its way and we are excited. So welcome into the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast presented by Sloan. I'm your host, Ryan Dempster. And today we have World Series champ. That's right. 04 champ. Kevin Millar, the Real 1-5, is going to be joining the show. Before we sit down with the Real 1-5, get deep in conversation, I got to tell you about Sloan's no-touch hand-washing technology. It's state-of-the-art, folks. It's second to none, and it couldn't come at a better time. So we want to thank Sloan for providing that technology to the people out there so everybody can wash their hands and stay safe. Seven-time Father of the Year, Four-time husband of the year, or self-proclaimed anyways. He's going to be on the show. Um, Kevin and I go back a long, long way. Um, We've been friends in this game um, of baseball, but more importantly, the game of life um, for over 20 years. Uh, Wow. Incredible to think it's been that long. But uh, truly one of the more entertaining guys I've ever been around. Um, And I'm not the only teammate that ever could say uh, that about him. He is, he's truly one of a kind folks, as you're going to find out during this uh, interview, he, he's special. Um, We've, we've shared memories on the field, off the field, um, you know, vacations, family vacations together, everything, you name it. I think one of my favorite things about uh, Kevin and I was the time when uh, we were going to a, a barbecue at his at his mom's house uh, in California, we left Dodger Stadium in two limousines. Kevin left in a Porsche with Gary Sheffield. Um, turns out uh, that our uh, limousines lost air conditioning middle of summer, middle of August in LA, um, which uh, you know for Kevin wasn't a big deal because he was in a nice AC uh, Porsche 911 with Mr. Sheffield. Uh, and then on the way from, uh, his mom's barbecue up to Gary's house afterwards for a little post party, uh, one of our limos caught on fire. That's right. Right in front of the gates of the Pacific Palisades there in California, uh, full on engulfed in flames. Nothing like watching Edgar Renneria and Levon Hernandez and Mike Lowell and myself and Brian Meadows all jump out of that limousine as it burst into flames there at the guard gate. But Hey, you know what? Kevin was so nice that him and Gary came and picked us up in another car. That's right, a good old Range Rover. We all piled in the back, and we left that limousine there to, to burn to the ground. Um, uh, as none of us had fire extinguishers, so that's just how it works. But, you know, that kind of sums up Kevin in a nutshell. You just never know what's going to happen. Um, but any way, shape, or form, it's always going to be an entertaining, interesting, good time. Just like this interview right here that we have. So it's that time, folks. Let's go off the mound with 1-5 Kevin Millar. How you doing, pal? It's so great to see you, man. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I, I rarely get introduced as the L.A. City Junior College from 1990 and 91 as that guy. So I appreciate that because sometimes we forget our roots, Ryan. Yeah, it's all about, you know, you got to remember where you came from. And, uh, you you know, growing up in L.A. and then L.A. City, then the pride of Beaumont. Uh, where you met your lovely wife Gina at. Um, you you have had an unconventional uh, road to your baseball career and where you are now. Um, it's been, it's been quite the interesting story for everybody to watch, Kevin. Yeah, Ryan. Let's be honest. I had five times to get drafted. That'd be a senior in high school. Two years at that beautiful LA City Junior College in South Central Los Angeles, and two years in Beaumont, Texas, another beautiful place. I don't know if you've ever smelt sulfur plants. 
but take 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 a trip to Beaumont about 9, 12 p.m. in the evening, and then there's this beautiful smell of sulfur. <laughs> and that was two more years, my junior and senior year there in college. So the Astros, I believe, went 90 rounds or 60 rounds, whatever it was. And so, yeah, the draft, I just kind of waited. I was still waiting. Actually, I'm still waiting because uh, I know they went five rounds this year, and I still haven't been drafted, Ryan. And I always tell kids, I go, you know what? Scouts are going to make, you know, uh, mistakes. I wasn't a mistake. And I, and I say that jokingly. I mean, not jokingly. I didn't have a whole lot of tools. You know, I couldn't run that well. Still can't. Never did. Arm strength was below average. You know, fielding was below average. Everything stat-wise wasn't great. But you know what? I could always hit a little bit. Uh, and I always had a little bit of heart on the field. So, you know, with that, that being said, I always tell kids, man, you keep playing as long as you can. And when you have a uniform on and in and, and any team, you have a chance because it takes one guy to say, you know what, that kid can play. You know what though, like it's it's funny you talk about the tools and you're, you know, you would always joke about that. You didn't even have a toolbox, but the reality is you had probably one of the most important tools and that's baseball IQ and um, the knowledge of the game and where to be and, you know, who you could swing first pitch off of and things like that. How much do you feel like maybe we focus so much on the stats and the stats and the stats, but really playing the game is is the number one thing that you can do and the most important thing you do when you're out there. We have a lot of stats. We know Ryan Dempster might throw his wipeout slider with two strikes, and, you know, that's his pitch. But you still dig in that batter's box. There's still 35,000 people in the stands. There's still first and second with two outs in the bottom of the eighth. And, you know, pitchers have tendencies. Hitters have tendencies. And that's the cat and mouse game that we love that sometimes is on the stats, and that's just kind of like that that gut. And uh, sometimes you got to go with the gut feeling. And, and we've lost that a tick because we're so stat-oriented and information's given to all these managers of when to throw this guy and when to hit this guy. But sometimes you can look down there, like you and I used to play with a guy named Jim Leland. And you look down there smoking his heaters, and you know somebody, like, hey, Debbie, get it back. And you're like, what? I haven't hit since uh, 1993. And yeah, yeah, I feel you're going to go ahead and lay a nice butt down. So the gut feeling is still fun in this game. And two, like you are always uh, like a huge proponent of the power of your brain and your mind, and you could will yourself to do certain things. And and where did you get that from? Who was the person that that instilled that in you? Well, it's my dad. I think Papa Chuck, Chuck Millar. Been married six times, Ryan. I had a lot of stepmoms, uh, some good, some bad. Uh, but I'm going to tell you one thing about my dad. No matter how bad it is, or was, or during his life, or whatever it was. His attitude was always positive. You know, he would always look at me and say, let it out, let it out. And whatever it means and that it, we all have that as people. It's just, it's a choice when you want to wake up with a good attitude and when you want to wake up with a bad attitude. And I know when I'm getting cranky, if you're getting hungry and you're getting tired, but I think that's the one thing is you come to the field every day as a teammate, as a player, but forgetting like to enjoy every moment, win, lose or draw. You play your hardest, you play the game the right way, and then someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. I don't think we have enough fun. And I know one thing, we had fun. Um, when you left Florida and went to um, Boston, which is an amazing story because you were supposed to be in Japan, and the next thing you know, a phone call, and you don't go to Japan, and you end up with the Red Sox. Did you maintain that same attitude? And kind of like, because you did, you were responsible for changing a demeanor. They thought the worst was going to happen because they hadn't won. And you brought this attitude of, no, we're going to change things around. Did you find that tough when you first got there? The Red Sox, 
going there, passion, unbelievable, haven't won in 86 years. You felt it was time to change this. And what I meant by that was their their attitude, the fans of negativity, the Bill Buckner ground ball through the legs, and all of these games, the Bucky Dent home run, everything bad happens to them. Nothing good happens to them. That was the way they thought. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Billy Miller, Orlando Cabrera, Mark Bellhorn, Trot Nixon, Jason Veritek. It was time to change this culture. David Ortiz, non-tendered from the Twins. Here he is. Todd Walker, non-tendered from the Reds. Billy Miller was non-tendered from the Cubs. Millar was non-tendered from the, from the Marlins. We had a bunch of misfits that kind of came over here non-tendered wise. But it was time to go, let's go. And, you know, we had our superstars. We had our Pedro Martinez and our Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz turned into who he is. And, you know, Kurt Schilling came over to 04. But it was such a unique group, similar to our Marlins group for all those years, that didn't know any better other than let's change this. It's time to change this. And it's no more 15 cabs with 15 people. We were rolling deep like you guys rolled in 2013, the, the Bearder Brothers. It was a very similar club uh, from the 04 team to the 13 club World Series team. And, you know, 03, your first year there, you guys had a great run, obviously, you know, up in, in game seven and or game six, and then the Aaron Boone home run and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, the Yankees end up winning in 03, and you come back in 04 and, and down 3-0, and everybody knows the story. And it's, um, it's really quite incredible when you try to wrap your head around it. The very guy, you, that's walking around during batting practice telling everybody, don't let us win today. Don't let us win this game tonight. Then they get Petey, and then they get Shield game six. In game seven, anything happens. Um, and then you go out there and draw the walk off Marion Rivera. Dave Roberts pinch run, steal second base. Bill Miller base hit up the middle, tie game. Now you're walking off. Um, after you win that game, your guys in the locker room, were you guys like, oh, we got this now. We got this right here. Yeah, you know, everybody knows the story. But the Dan Shaughnessy quote when he called us frauds in 2004, so now we're down 0-3, right, in a seven-game series. And I was going potty, and that would be number two, Ryan, at that point. And I'm reading the sports page. And then yeah, of back course. then we read papers, right? Yeah. So yep. I saw that we were, we were a pack of frauds. That got me, okay? that that That's the part that got me. So you're down 0-3. That was that little, little, uh. And I said, okay, so we got to the field that day, and it's 12, 31 o'clock. You're yipping and yapping. I'm like, all right, we're frauds, boys. Dan Shaughnessy called us frauds. Now, understand this. Yankees might be better than us, Ryan. They might be better than us. But to look around and call us frauds because we're not as good as them, that's where I didn't understand that part of it. So when Dan Shaughnessy walked in to the clubhouse that day, down 03, I said, your hair sucks, Dan. And he's got this big red perm. <laughs> and, you know, he's looking at me like, mm -hmm. what? You know, once I said, don't let us win tonight because we have Pedro game five, Schilling game six, anything happened game seven, we can even put you at second base, Dan. It was something that was so real because it happened. Like, we're down in the ninth. I walk, and Robert steals, and Billy Murray gets a base hit. Quantrill gives up the home run to Poppy. Game five, the very similar, exact same situation. I walk off Tom Gordon. Robert's pinch runs. Then Poppy in the 12th inning, or whatever that inning was, he has a big 15-pitch at bat of Rich Loiza, and we win the game again. So now we're rolling in to Yankee Stadium game six and seven. You felt the pressure if Schilling can make the start because he had that surgery. And then game six, we win that game. Game seven, they have no chance. That's just the way it is. Yep. Sometimes it's in the cards, and you know as well as I do, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but we're leaving our hotel room. We have a chance to shock the world that day, and we did. 
they had zero chance. Johnny Damon goes deep and, you know, drives in a million and Poppy goes deep. So it was just, that was a boat race. And that was getting them back for game three, what they did to us. Uh, a legend in Beantown for sure. Um, you did so many great things, helping bring a World Series there. Um, you know, pieced together a, a really, really awesome career for yourself. Um, you know, baseball, you, you, you win a World Series in Boston, you go to Baltimore, you play in Toronto your last year up there, and then baseball stops uh, career-wise you know, baseball wise, on the field wise. And then you start as an analyst, you know, you're doing some games for Fox, you're at MLB Network, and then boom, here comes intentional talk. You and Chris Rose, and everybody in the baseball circle knows this. What an amazing show you guys have. You guys are light, you guys are fun, you're informative, you're entertaining, your guests are incredible. Um, you know, 10 years, you're going on your 11th year of doing this. Um, you know, I think close to 600 shows, did you ever imagine this? I know we talked about it before. Did you ever envision it being this successful and this much fun uh, doing intentional talk with Rosie? No, because, right, you know, you and I are very similar, right? We had fun. We were likable while we played. You know, I mean, guys might not like you playing against you, but once you got a chance, it's like, yeah, yeah, Dempster, he's a great dude. All right, Kevin, he's a better guy than I thought, whatever it was. But television wasn't on our radar, right? And I'm going I'm to tell you a funny story. I'm going to take my shirt off just for a second. Not take it off, but I'm going to show you my arms. Yeah. But not because they're big, because they're just 50 years old and flabby. My point being is this. You see this? Brian, I've told you the story. Okay. That right there. Whoops. Let me get over here. That says IT. This is my grandfather, Papa. This is KCM 15, right? That's when you're one you hide from your mom when you're 16 and your dad. But under here, <laughs> that says IT, period. That was when dad said, let it out to make the college team in 1992 at Lamar University. I was a junior, okay? Now fast forward, 92, 02, 12, let's just say 20 years later, I'm doing a show called Intentional Talk, which is IT. If you don't think that that's a little bit strange and a little bit how life takes you in your these little unique paths, that's a true story. So I have IT on my arm in 1992, 20 years later, we're doing a show called Intentional Talk and, that, you know, going on our 10th, 11th year. It's been awesome. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's what I love about um, about your guys' show so much is that you humanize the players. You you make them, they're human beings. They're, like you said earlier, they're not robots. And so you really highlight that. And I think what it does is it gives fans out there an opportunity to see them that way. So that maybe when they strike out with the bases loaded or they give up a home run, that we're not just going to boo them because they failed. You know, you want to boo them because they didn't hustle? Cool. You want to give them a hard time because of that? Right. No problem. But because they fail, somebody on the other side, 60 feet, six inches away, somebody's got to win. Somebody's got to lose. And I think your show and you personally have done such – and you did during our careers, you know, a, such an incredible job of, of relaying that to the fans that they're humans out there. Let's go. Let's treat them like human beings. We're talking about players coming on the show. Sometimes they're coming on because we booked them, but they're 0 for 25. I don't care. I don't care if you're over your last five starts with a 12-year eight. Let's talk about life. The dogs, the family, the wife. The, you know, uh, I remember we had Tomei on. He had a 600 home run. He's in Minnesota. We have my ballpark camp. First pitcher we show up, he's dropping a three-point shot in high school in John Stark's old tidy whities Okay? John, John Stark from the chest. So, like, the shorts are this big. I mean, the kid, the kid's got a nice little – Jump shot, but he's like, oh, God, Kevin, what did you get? Oh, God, what did you get that pitcher? I said, Jim, this has nothing to do with your six-arm runs. Anybody can do that. 
Let's talk about, did you make the shot or not? And it, it's that kind of stuff that is funny. Such a, a beautiful, wonderful family. They're, they're great kids. Um, you know, you, you open the world up to, for us to see them. Uh, you know, talk about uh, your family and what they mean to you. Because they're such, they're such lovely, lovely people. It starts with your wife. Thank God she's, you know, taking care of the kids and raised them uh, to be such, you know, good human beings. Uh, you know, your family to you, how, how important they've been along the way. I will say this, life's about phases, right? You know, you go through high school, you get your first girlfriend, you get your heart broken the first time, and then you go into college, and now you're going to have your first adult beverage. And it's like, oh, my goodness, I had three beers. I poured two of them out, but I'm really, really buzzed. This is amazing, and oh, my goodness gracious. And now all of a sudden, you start becoming a father. And now your life is a whole different ballgame. You're not jumping off the bridge anymore into the lake. You're not doing these silly things, riding a, whole, a motorcycle without a helmet. But it's the greatest thing in the world because you have the opportunity to, they're the future, right? To teach them respect and teach them love and teach them to love everybody. I really enjoy being a daddy just like you do and your beautiful family. And you are the best dad in the world. And it started back in Scottsdale. And it used to piss me off a little bit because you would sit there and I don't know if it was Brady, but you'd bring Brady by yourself like three months old. And it was like Ryan was out here alone and we would do something. Gina would, you know, whatever, Brady might be sleeping or and I'm like, she's like, he's the most unbelievable human being in the world. I wish someday you could be like Ryan. I'm like, babe, I'll never be like Ryan because <laughs> I'm scared to death to change the number two diaper. He sold me out. I told you, I'm going to throw up on my gag. I, so as boys club, I was like, no, never say you're going to change the number two. Just do number one. No, not Ryan. He was feeding it, changing it. And I could say it. Sorry, Brady. He's a tough little redheaded kid right now out of Chi-Town. He's about 6'1", probably. He's bigger than Uncle Kevin. But my point being is that you set the tone for Father of the Year. I'm self-proclaimed Father of the Year. You, my friend, are Father of the Year. Uh, that's very, very kind of you. You know what? It goes fast. And then pretty soon they're 14. They have all the answers. And I don't have to change his diapers anymore. I just have to remind him to brush his teeth. So, um, you know, it, it goes like that. And I think that's why we, right. we both enjoy it so much because we know it goes that quick. Um, it's great to catch up with you. I, I, I brought the jersey down from above my bed. Uh, it's normally hanging right on there. Kelly still lets me hang it up there. And uh, and your old license plate right there. For anybody who doesn't know about Kevin, he is the real 1-5. So much so that on my jersey, if you look right here, I love you, Kevin Millar, 1-5. And then underneath, you wrote 1-5, just in case I didn't see the number. So um, I love you, man. You, you you know, we're brothers. I know that. Thanks so much for joining us today, dude. You, you're a legend. And I'm just so happy for everything that's happened for you and Gina and your guys' life. And and for joining us here on the show today is incredible. You know, you're a brother to me, bro. You know that you and Kelly are my family and you know that we need to get together on an RV trip, you and I, down the road. We're gonna follow each other because I think between the two of us, we have eight kids now, right? So we're gonna need an RV. Yeah. Not, no, no more like a Suburban. We need like an RV. So that's what we do. It was great to catch up with my old teammate today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Um, if you want to hear more in-depth interviews like the ones from today's episode, please download and subscribe to the Off the Mound with Ryan Dempster podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And as always, you can watch the show every Friday night at 8 p.m. on Marquee Sports Network. And be sure to check out next week's podcast. That's right, we got Cubs legend, former World Series champ, Jake Arrieta is going to be here. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you soon.